welcome to What the Fun Podcast with Kimmy, Kisa, and Renee. Glad you can join us as we explore all aspects of entertainment and current events with industry professionals, friends, and us. Welcome. And now we're here, episode three. Yay! Yeah. And we just keep trucking along and just get better and better each time. So I think that our listeners might wonder, like, how do you guys record this stuff and post it? And what is like the order of things? Should we bring like bring them into the back behind the scenes? Behind the scenes. This is like, like what the fuck? What is it called? That what do they do on like BH1? Behind the scenes. Making making, making a podcast. <laughs> making the making a Making the video. This is making the podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Making the video. Do you guys remember that? Yes. Making the video. Yeah. I used to love those. I think the last one I watched was Beyonce. She was making some video. Crazy in Love. Yeah. Crazy in Love. I don't know. I don't remember. That was a long time ago. Do they even still make music videos? Because every time I tune into like MTV or VH1, it's either like old music videos from like the 80s or 90s, if not that, reality shows. Yeah, yeah, I think that they still make music videos. They just don't put it on you know, music like TV television, yeah, or VH1 because they've turned into reality TV stations. Oh, I remember yeah. those days when it was like that dedicated hour to top twenty oh, yeah. hits. You know, yes. So. <laughs> but now you can like go to, on YouTube or you know whatever and and pull up the videos. So they they're still doing the videos. It's just they're not dedicated to one channel anymore. Yeah, on cable TV. Hopefully, they'll bring back music videos, like how fashion comes back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, that would be a really good thing. Yeah. But I really do. I did like that show making making the video. It was like I like the the documentary aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So you got to know the artists a little bit better, and mm-hmm. and all the people that were involved in making the video. Right. It wasn't just like. You know, here I'm going to put up my camera. And you know what? That's what yeah. our podcast is about. You know, we are also featuring people from behind the scenes, mm-hmm. you know, from a production stage manager to, to an, you know, a, a, an actor who is constantly out there performing on stage, mm-hmm. lighting programmers. So it's, it's great for us to be able to share those, you know, wonderful talents behind the scenes. So, yeah. Wait, this is episode four. Yes, this is episode four, not three. Shut up! Oh my land, I better fix that on the internet. No, no, no. The one you posted on the internet is right. That is episode three. But this cubicle is episode four. Okay, so this is part of the behind the scenes situation, guys. Uh, Let us tell you how we do this. We record, we promote, we edit and post, and then we record, edit, post, and then we post (laughs) and we publish. For for the sake and for the sake of our behind the scenes, we're keeping this so you can hear some of our flops. <laughs> or when Kimmy fails. No. Well, you were doing the promo for episode three. So and here we are recording the the cubicle chat for episode four. So it's oh. you're, it's not because you're dumb or anything. It's just it's confusing matter. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's hard to keep it all in order, though. 
because we do it all out of order. <laughs> you know, we so are busy women. We are busy women busy. in the podcast world, and we just get so immersed in our work and project that we forget <laughs> which episode, day, and time it is. Oh my God, could you imagine what the next couple of weeks are going to be like? <laughs> Oh my god! I'm gonna need to have like a big post-it or something telling me what episode we're doing because I do not know. Um, I got it for you. It's called a production calendar. It's already up. <laughs> you just need to pull that up and print it. <laughs> so there you have it. I read the production calendar before logging in. I'm like, oh, I better find out before this bitch gets gets to me. <laughs> And yells at us because <laughs> okay. Renee, Renee does bust her butt to get us structured and organized. And I know for a fact that I need structure, like we said before, a few cubicle <laughs> chats before that I need people to tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. I love telling people what to do. So it all works. Yeah. <laughs> it all works. Well, it's like a fine line, right? Like I, I need somebody to tell me what to do, but also don't tell me what to do because then I'll be like, don't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. Also, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> it's about providing structure. It's it's the idea of telling you what to do, but it's not. It's just giving you a structure, giving you an idea, giving yes. you a blueprint. What you do with that is up to you. <laughs> That onus is on you, not on me, you. Then we go into accountability, which is a different factor, but (laughs) that'll be a whole new different segment. Oh my God, that's so funny. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Subject change. So like, you know how I mentioned um, Old Navy opening up last week? Well, more Mm -hmm. stores started opening up and have you guys ever shopped at Five and Below? No. No. I have one right by my house though. Okay, you need to check it out because every everything in that store is five dollars and below. And you know me, I love me some deals. Hence the title. <laughs> Hence the title. <laughs> I um came across their book aisle and they had all these awesome stationaries and um and these books where you fill in the blanks, whether if it is like Oh, my best friend and I, the story of us, or the story of me, or um or happily ever after, you know, just talking about relationships, your own personal. It's like your own bio, autobiography. That's self-writing, right? Mm-hmm. Autobiography. Yeah. Well, I bought this book um, and it's titled Burn After Writing. And, you know, on May 1st, I declared that that was going to be the beginning of change for me, where it's going to mm-hmm. be me instead of May. It's going to be me. <laughs> And I, um, I, I saw this book and I started flipping through the pages and I was like, you know what? This is going to be a part of my change. And there's a lot of questions on here and it's just asking you questions. And whether if it is something simple as, um, let's see, if I could change my first name, I would change it to, you know, and then it gets mm-hmm. deeper to, um, oh, the one thing that I would be prepared to die for. It gets deep and it kind of gets mm-hmm. dark, but in a way it's it's kind of like a little diary where you mm-hmm. write a lot of your deepest, you know, secrets and for me there's a lot of stuff that I've kept inside and I took this book and I was like this is going to be the book where I'm going to release mm-hmm. all of my, you know, personal stuff that I've 
haven't really had the courage to share with others, but if I can put it in this book and at least release some of that, you know, um, emotion in this little book and then burn it at the end, because <laughs> that's your option. Mm-hmm. You can keep yeah. the book as something to remember or you can burn it. And for me, I'm going to burn it because it's going to be like my yes. symbol of change. So we're going to go down to the beach, ladies, and we're going to go to one of the little bonfire pits. We're going to do this little ceremony. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Does it have like a little it does. ceremony? It's, Ooh, what is it? it? Well, it tells you. It, well, in at the very be- at the very end, it it says in big fonts, "Burn after writing." And mm. so, it's giving you that um, final um, question: Are you going to burn this after writing? Mm-hmm. But, are um, you going to burn it? And you say you are going to burn it, so that's I, good. I am going to burn it. It's going to have a lot of juicy stuff here that inquiring, mind, inquiring minds will want to know. But it's for me in this book to know. And that's it. Boom. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, I'm going to ask one of the questions here. You ladies answer it. The craziest thing I have ever done in my life, Renee. Jump off it? a plane. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty crazy. I could never do that. That's it. What about you, Kisa? Um, I'm. I think it's ziplining through the rainforest. That is crazy. <laughs> it, it, it can be pretty scary going on that line. <laughs> it is, yeah, but it's fun. It's a good time. Everybody should do it. Yeah, I think for me, it's definitely jumping off the plane because I think I was really risking my life. The guy that I. You know, you you you, f- you fly in tandem mm-hmm. with someone, mm-hmm. and the guy was shorter than me. And uh, everybody before we got on the plane said, "Ooh, you get that guy? That's bad because he's shorter than you. He needs to be taller <laughs> than you." And I was like, "Great!" And then we went off, and I slipped in the harness. I could feel mm-hmm. myself slip, and then I was like, "I'm gonna die! I'm gonna die!" <laughs> you know. And then he just kept turning, like going in swirls. I didn't really get to like enjoy the gliding for like only a few seconds, and that was it. It was scary, but I don't know if I'd do it again. But I don't think I'd be afraid of doing it again. So that's good, yeah, right? No. That that is good. I cannot. Way to go, Renee. Yeah. I have no interest in jumping out of an airplane <laughs> ever. <laughs> Kimmy, what about you? What's the scariest thing you've ever done? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> the problem with me is I try to prevent myself from doing anything scary. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm just scared like that. I can't. I'll have to write it in my book. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, you know, you just have to like grant yourself permission. <gasps> yes. It's true. Yeah. Grant yeah, yourself exactly. permission Perfect. to do it because you can and you have the right to do it. You shouldn't mm-hmm. stop yourself. Which, Which brings us to a guest today. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh man. Oh man. Yes. No, joining us today is one of my dearest friends um, who has had quite the journey in his career. Simon has gone through lots of ups and downs, um, but has prevailed through all that. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to dilly dally. I want to go straight to introducing this amazing human being. Um, I'm so honored to know Simon Curtis. Yay! 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 Simon! Welcome! Hi! 
I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, Simon, you are someone who has had a very interesting career as an artist. Now, I do say artist because you have done so many different things in your career. Please share your journey with us because you are the only one that can do it justice. Uh, sure. Yeah. So I, um, like you said, I, I, I do all sorts of things and my career has taken me some interesting places and I've done, you know, several different things and several different mediums of art. <laughs> um, but I was born in Michigan, lived in Hawaii and Missouri briefly, uh, primarily raised in Oklahoma. I moved to California when I was 18 years old. I started work on children's TV, like Disney Channel, and then I did a Nickelodeon movie. And then I shifted from that into music. And I released my first album in 2010. And it was a free album and it went viral on Twitter. And then I released my next album, which was for sale the next year. Mm -hmm. And it charted on Billboard independently. And then a few years after that, I released my first book. And now I am currently working on new books and new music. Yes, that's awesome. Like I mentioned in the intro before, you are someone who has truly been faced with a lot of challenges in your lifetime. I mean, ever since you were little to even today. Um, But I truly feel it's important for you to share with our listeners because I think that coming from you, it would would make it more special. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, like I am definitely a survivor. I survived leukemia when I was 10. Mm-hmm. And so that right out the gate, like that, you know, <laughs> I, I learned some life lessons very quickly yeah. uh, just facing that. And then from there, you know, I had, I had, you know, quite a difficult time as a teenager growing up with my family in Oklahoma. Um, my brother outed me to my parents shortly after I turned 18, when I was still living at home summer after graduating high school and like they kicked me out. And so I, I went through a really dark period mm-hmm. right before I moved to LA, um, where, you know, I was staying with friends for a few weeks and then it got to the point several months after that, when I had finally come back home, my mom had a suicide attempt and that was like blamed on me. And so there, there was just like a lot of really, really dark, heavy, heavy stuff mm-hmm. that all kind of led up to me moving away at 18. Mm-hmm. Right. You called yourself a survivor. And honestly, yesterday after we met, I was telling uh, Renee and Kimmy, just listening to your your life and your backstory, just how much you've gone through Mm -hmm. for being so young. And it's just like, there are so many people that get dealt these hands. And I feel like you've been dealt this hand, but you've turned it around every single time you were dealt dealt a bad hand. You've decided... Mm -hmm. I'm going to use this to fuel whatever creative energy I have and turn it into something positive as opposed to going the exact opposite route, which you could have easily done. Mm-hmm. It just speaks leaps and bounds to like how impressed I am by you just for you oh, to you. <laughs> just be able to like just turn any situation that you are dealt with into something positive. And I think it's I think it's great. Well, thank you so much. That's really, that's really beautiful. Thank you for saying that. I, I treasure that. That's so, that's so lovely. Thank you. And that's, you know, that's something important to me. You know, like I've, I've always been an optimist. I just, 
you know, like even when I was diagnosed with cancer, like that was just, I was just an eternal optimist. I, nothing ever phased me in that regard. And I, you know, one of the things that we talked about yesterday when we had our meet and greet, was just talking about like faith in that way. And just like that, that belief, like in yourself and, you know, taking leaps of faith and, you know, allowing that sort of conviction to just kind of like, carry you forth and let you do the things that you want to do and express the things that you want to express. And one of the things that you mentioned uh, when you were going through leukemia, the the battle with leukemia was that you were given this opportunity to audition for a show. And then you were like, yes, mom, I want to do it. And your mom was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about that. (laughs) Because that's a great example of how you just overcame things and just kept going. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. So the first show I ever did was the touring production of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And it was it was such an exciting, amazing, life-changing experience because I not only had never done a musical before, but it was, you know, it's like a Broadway touring show. It was, it was a massive production. So it was just mm-hmm. like this profound experience. And it began with my fifth grade music teacher giving me a flyer for auditions. She told me that the show was coming to town and they were auditioning kids in Tulsa where I'm from. And she said that she wanted me to audition for it. And so I pulled out the flyer from my backpack that afternoon, um, later after school in the hospital, getting a blood transfusion. And I gave it to my mom. I pulled it out of my backpack, gave it to my mom and said, (laughs) call, I want an audition, set it up. And my mom started crying and she said, no, you can't do this. This, I'm sorry, Simon, like this is, no, you're too sick. You can't do this. Because mm-hmm. I was on very heavy chemo at the time. And I fought her in the hospital room. And I was like, no, call. I can do this. You don't get to tell me what I can do. You didn't even ask the doctor. I'll talk to the doctor. Like I fought <laughs> her until she called. <laughs> and she did. And then... So I went to the first audition because it was like a four audition process. And, um, you know, my mom told me after the fact that, you know, she was really intimidated. There were so many kids whose parents had taken them to New York for vocal lessons to prepare for the audition and all sorts of stuff. And we got in the car and she was like, Simon, I don't want you getting your hopes up because you're not getting this. And I can't have you devastated right now with everything that you're going through because you're not going to get this. And I was like, I don't think you're right. This is something that I'm getting. This is mine. And <laughs> I just was like, that that's your doubt, whatever. And yeah. I went through the audition process and I got it. And they fully accommodated everything. They, my hair was falling out at the time because I was on such heavy chemo. And so they let me wear a hat on stage. And like they were fully accommodating, like if I needed to leave rehearsal to mm-hmm. go throw up you know for me you know and and when I did talk to my doctors about it they were like no this stuff like this is great because that's what really fills people up with life and vitality mm-hmm. when they're going through things like this like they need those sort of things mm-hmm. and that's kind of what I was trying to tell my mom you know and I was like see see now will you let me do it <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that was the first thing that I ever booked. And just, I remember being on the stage the first night of that show and it was just like, that was a life changing experience that was, it filled me with such life. And I knew that that was the sort of thing that I wanted to be doing forever. 
So what was that experience moving from place to place? How did you make that work for you? And is that like part of the reason why uh, your artistry is what it is now? Because that creativity needed to be there in order to make it all work. Maybe. Honestly, I've never thought about it that way. So that's a really good question. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I The thing is, is I remember being, I remember my imagination firing on all cylinders, even when I lived in Michigan. And, you know, we, at the time, I didn't realize how insanely beautiful the place where I was initially raised was. We lived out in the woods, right on Lake Huron. Like one of the Great Lakes was our backyard and the rest was all forest. And like, I had this experience where I was like four and five years old and I could just go play outside by myself and just like wander the beach and sing aerial songs and then like go into the woods (laughs) and just like look for tree stars from Land Before Time. Like I, so my imagination was just always thriving. Who inspires you? Mm -hmm. Ooh. Um, Or what? I mean, I, I draw... I mean, just in general, so much of my inspiration comes from the things that really form my childhood imagination. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of super specific '80s movies and music, like Never Ending Story, Return to Oz, The Witches, like the, all those Jim Henson movies, like The Dark Crystal, things like that mm-hmm. that just really have always activated me mm-hmm. um, musically. I would say. Britney was always my biggest. And Britney was what made me realize that I wanted to make pop music and not go to mm. New York and try and be on Broadway. Mm. Like okay. yeah. when, when Britney, the 2000 VMA performance where she did Satisfaction and Oops, where she ripped off the tuxedo and had that, you know, nude glitter, like that moment, yeah. I, I remember <laughs> watching that as it happened and being like, oh, that's what I want to do. Yeah. That is what I want to do. And from that moment, like that, my, that changed my life. So Britney's always going to be at the top of my list when it comes to like my inspirations. Um, with music, I would say in the past four years, the past four or five years, my biggest inspiration has come, for, come from Casey Musgraves and Fleetwood Mac mm-hmm. and Lana Del Rey. Mm. I think those would be my, my three biggest musical inspirations of the past five years. Yeah, I, I definitely picked up on the 80s influence in your earlier music uh, as an 80s child that I am. I loved every minute of it. Um, one of the things I found interesting was the comments from your fans. It was it was just so evident that they love your work and that you continue to make an impact um, on their lives or on them. How important have your fans been to you in your career? Oh God, my fans are everything. I mm-hmm. like, I, 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 it honestly makes me emotional thinking about like, I had this kid hit me up on Instagram, just saying that he has listened to my song superhero on YouTube every day mm-hmm. for like the past four years. And mm-hmm. that like, he needs to listen to it before school there's just so many things like that that are just it's so overwhelming to me and it's it's you know and some of my music has been out for a while like it's been out for a long time and like people are like still listening to it like more than ever and it's Mm -hmm. there 
I, I don't know. I, I have, I love them so much. Like the people who support my music are just angels. I love them so much. And I think it's so cool that some of your music has been placed in other compilations of other artists mm-hmm. and remix. So that's so cool that your music is just being YouTube. <laughs> it, like I have like my permissions set with my music so that people can put my songs in videos and like some of my most viewed, like my song flesh is in so many like gay anime mashup videos that people make and some of them i swear to god have like 80 million views and that's the thing when you put stuff out you never know you never know where it's gonna go like you never know who's gonna see it you never know who's gonna love it you never know who's gonna like put it in another video Mm -hmm. because they love it so much so Mm -hmm. you know that's that's been an inspiring thing for me to just see that music grow and continue to grow over the years and the fact that you're just doing it you just you just let it go like you put it out there and allow people to do whatever they want with it and that's yeah. That's really cool. Not a lot of people do that. They're more, you know, there's some artists that are all about the money and like what they're going to get out of it. And it doesn't uh-huh. seem like you're in that space. I mean, you know, it's funny because especially when I put out the first album, I just had this attitude like, well, the money will come. Like I'll put out this album for free and the money will come. And, you know, now I'm 10 years later and music is my full income. You know, like mm-hmm. it's that's how I live. And, you know, it's afforded me like that really rare space where you get to be a musician full time, you know, without the part time gig. And, you know, I'm so blessed and so grateful. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and one of the reasons is because I was I did let it go, especially in the beginning when I gave my first album away for free, Um, you know, but now with like streaming services and things like that, like, you know, everything's monetized in that way. So I have no Mm -hmm. And like, I've never understood people who have like take things down off of Twitter Mm -hmm. and YouTube and stuff like that. Because the way I look at it is like, if somebody's listening to it for free now, then like, if they're putting it in a video, how many other people are going to see it and then go to Spotify and pay to listen to it later? So Mm -hmm. for me, it's just, I don't look at it that way. Yeah, they're going to Shazam that song and be like, where can I get it? Where can I get it? Yeah. (laughs) yeah. If anything, it's advertising. Mm -hmm. Like you have to look at stuff like that as advertising. Absolutely. Yeah. so your talent in writing music has shifted into writing books. Can you tell us about your first book, Boy Robot? Yeah. So Boy Robot, it's it was inspired by um, track one off of my first album. And it, you know, that that song is kind of like a spoken word intro to the album, telling the story about a boy who was a robot who wanted to learn how to love. And I took that as inspiration for this book that's about um, a boy who on his 18th birthday discovers that he is a synthetic human uh, creation of the government, a failed experiment. And now people like him are being rounded up by a secret government agency and terminated. And so the entire first book is kind of, it's basically him on a giant chase sequence across the country trying to get to LA where there is a secret enclave of people like him. So you're inspired to write the book. How did you start that process? Because going from, you know, having your acting career, but you're, Mm -hmm. you do musical theater. So it's almost Mm -hmm. like a natural thing to want to say, yes, I'm going to go ahead and put a record together. But then going into writing, how did you get there? Like, how did you decide 
I'm going to take this and run with it and put a book together. And then what was that process like? Because I mean, like putting a podcast together has been difficult, but I can't imagine just saying, I want to publish a book. This is what I do. (laughs) Right after Ape at Heart, my first album came out, I met up for lunch with one of my favorite authors who I befriended on Twitter. And he asked me, when are you writing your book? To which I replied, you know, when I'm older, I get, and he was like, no, 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 no. You've already started writing it. It's on that album. Yeah. And a light bulb went off and I was just so taken aback. And I was like, oh my God, I think you're right. And I went home that night and started outlining it and started like brainstorming this full story. And it just started flowing in. And then it was shortly after that, that I wrote on Twitter and was like, Hey, does anybody know anything about YA book publishing? Mm -hmm. And a longtime fan who had a cupcake as an avatar for a picture like that I just responded to like, Oh, thank you. You know, every now and then he sent me a message and was like, Hey, I'm an editor at Simon and Schuster. I'd love to hear what you're writing. And I was like, Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> so cool. And <laughs> yeah. And I sent him my initial proposal and he really loved it. And he took it to Simon and Schuster and they passed on it. And it was like two years later, they had had a complete turnaround of all the higher ups at the imprint where he worked. And he was promoted from assistant editor to a full editor. And when that changeover took place, the first thing he did was he hit me up and asked if we could revisit it. And I said, yeah, of course, I'd love to. And they bought it. And so it was It was a really interesting process for me because I sold my first book on a proposal. So I only had mm-hmm. 50 pages of it at that point, plus a complete outline and character breakdowns and this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was wild because that was kind of like a trial by fire. I had never written a book and I had sold one. So I had to write it like it was... The, It was a very backwards experience. And I didn't have an agent yet. Like I had sold, it was a whole, every single piece of my publishing journey was out of order. Um, And I'm really grateful (laughs) for it. It was, it was exactly, you know, how it was supposed to be for me. I love that. As a procrastinator, I know that I, for one, struggled with writing papers in college and I don't even try to do it now, but <laughs> I just have to, it's true. I have to just feel the pressure of the deadline. Otherwise, it will not happen. But anyway, like you mentioned, the first book came naturally to you. So, has it been the same experience with the follow up book, Robot Army? It's funny because I have struggled so much writing the second book. Like, the second mm-hmm. book has been such like an odyssey of the self for me mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it is revealed like all of the self-doubts, all of the inner saboteur, all of those kind of glitches that come online when you really try to put yourself out there Mm -hmm. and you're really pushing yourself. Mm -hmm. And when you get those voices that say like, you can't do this or, you know, what makes you think that you should be doing this? Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So the past three years, like the book, my sequel was due like two years ago. And, you know, the good graces of my publisher. They've been really, really kind and gentle with me, but I'm, I'm on it now. Like I'm finally making progress with it now, but there was a long period where I was just like, I don't know how I did that the first time. Yeah. And I don't know if I can do that again. Um, 
because it really is like climbing a mountain. A, writing a book yeah. is like one day you're typing the end on a first draft and you're like, what? I just did that. <laughs> it's like you, it literally, it's like, it feels like you're standing at the top of Mount Everest and like you have nothing left. You're just like, oh my God, what? The first time I wrote the end on the Boy Robot Manuscript, I cried for like 20 minutes. The, I mean, the book is super intense, but it was just like that feeling of catharsis of like yeah. getting to that place and like feeling that yeah. accomplishment was just like, it, it, it's incredible. So, yeah. Yeah. And so is that the, the, the fear or the pressure that you're feeling that you felt with the second book, because you had to live up to that first experience and it probably wasn't going to be the same, right? Um, I mean, a little bit of that, but mm-hmm. there's also like, there's just stupid things that that activate in your psyche in certain moments, like, oh, you know, like this wasn't a New York Times bestseller. Should mm-hmm. I even, am I even supposed to be doing this? And you do those stupid yeah. things, like we talked about with the YouTube comments, like, you know, there, there are so many sites that review books and places for people to review books. And especially when it's a book, and it's, it's so interesting that I found my reaction to be so much more intense with my books than my music. Um, mm-hmm. But negative comments on a book, like I, fa- I have, I found, I don't anymore, but when it, the book first came out, I found I had such a difficult time dealing with that. Like people being like, this is garbage. Oh my God. This is like, this is just so violent and the writing is so bad and it's so pointless and the blah, 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 blah. This is the worst book I've ever read. I'm yeah. going to burn this book. Like blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Reading one of those for some reason, at least where I was negated mm-hmm. every 10 reviews of this book changed my life. Oh my mm-hmm. God. Thank you so much. This is my favorite yeah. book I've ever read. Like I just finished this and I'm crying so hard. I, when is the next one? I need the next one. But then you read that one, like fuck this book, burn it. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh my God. And for whatever reason, we latch onto that. Yeah. And and that was definitely one of the biggest things that I learned with my first book is like, I need to treasure and interact with my readers and not... Yeah. <laughs> with my haters. <laughs> on, with my haters. <laughs> one bad apple in the batch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fuck them. This is my book. Yeah. Go your own book. Fuck you. I mean, if it's, <laughs> if it's constructive criticism, you can take that. But when it's just BS oh, yeah. or they're just poking the bear, that's not a good thing. So I love that yeah. you take it that way, that you're saying, let's focus on the positive and respond to the positive yeah. versus the negative. I mean, if we all yeah. did that, then the negative would get quiet or eventually. Exactly. Yeah. And it does get mm-hmm. quiet. Like that's the thing, even on your own end, when you start making that a practice, like it, it does get quiet. It just happens mm-hmm. because there's nothing there to feed it anymore. You're not giving it the energy that it needs to survive. Yeah. So right. it starves out. Yeah. Making it a practice. That's like, what's so important is it's not just a today I'm going to do this. It's like you have, it has to be habitual. Yes. Otherwise yeah. it's not going to change. You're not going to change your behavior. It has to be incorporated as like a practice, as a daily lifestyle, honestly. Yeah. And that's something I'm still working on, you know, like it's something that, you know, became very clear to me, especially in the wake of my first book. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't realize how sensitive I was to that sort of stuff until my first book came out. And, you know, I felt like I had always been so impervious to that sort of thing. Um, Yeah. 
earlier in my life. And then when that came up, I guess that revealed to me how sensitive I actually was. Yeah. And you used that to uh, move forward. Yesterday when we were talking, you said something that I loved. <laughs> I <put it> down <laughs> um, Because I want to talk about this a little bit more. Yeah. Is um, that what can what can everybody do right now that is just you and nobody's permission is needed to do it? And when you mentioned this yesterday, we were talking about, you know, taking those chances and uh, what inspires you to do that? Because you've done that. Like you took a chance coming to LA. You took a chance Mm -hmm. um, getting into the acting business and forward and forward and forward. I mean, like Mm -hmm. to where you are now. So how does that play in your life? It's always been a consistent learning and relearning mm-hmm. process for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, even hearing it put like that kind of leaves me a little bit in awe of myself <laughs> because I'm like, oh shit, I really did that. Yeah. Because there are times, mm-hmm. you know, when you forget those lessons and like, you know, you have to relearn it all over again mm-hmm. and you kind of have to just like, you know, pull yourself up and and go do it all again. And, you know, so it's not, I most certainly have not been impervious to, to, you know, those doubts or or falling into those slumps where you just stop giving yourself permission. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and it's always, for me, it's always been, it's always been a process of just, you know, finding my way back to that, Mm -hmm. you know, eternal optimist that I was born. Like, that's just how I came into the world. And, you know, sometimes I've had to really fight to get back to that. And so now that I'm aware that that's a cycle for me Mm -hmm. now, like the next step for me is, okay, you know, like the practice, how do I make sure that I don't unlearn this? How do I make sure that I stay in that vibration always? Yeah. I just feel like some people allow themselves to f- go into the negative space because it's easier, or mm. at least they think it's easier and it's more work to stay in the positive. But like we were mentioning, if you make it a practice, then then mm-hmm. it's a possibility, right? Like it, it you're, you're going to be in that good space and continue to give yourself yeah. permission to do things. And for me, like it's always been like, I don't, I'm not deserving of that, you know? Like, and I don't know why that's always been a battle, like for me that, but when I have let go and said, I want that and I work for it and I do it and I love it and I enjoy it, it's the best Mm -hmm. experience of my life. But then I'll fall back because then I think, oh, well, I'm not good enough or I don't deserve doing that. You know, that's somebody else's thing, not my thing, but I want to do it. Mm -hmm. And you kind of keep yourself away from that. And that's something yeah. that I try to work on every day, but this has been a great reminder of that. So thank you. Yeah. And I think stuff like that, I think that's, I, I think honestly, all of us have that so instilled in us from mm. a young age, just societally, culturally. Um, it's, it's, I think that's just been like a lingering thing for a very, very long time in human existence. Mm-hmm. Like people trying to plant that seed of, self-doubt in people in order to suppress them but i also think there's another thing too of like the comparison that we go through when we see people doing things that we want to do or or just living a life that we want to live and we compare ourselves and we feel that pang of jealousy and this was something that i mentioned yesterday Mm -hmm. that was like it's so true 
But like when we see somebody doing the shit that we want to do, like when you shift that into being inspired, when you shift that into saying, oh, this person is doing the shit that I want to do. I want to go do that shit too. Like, oh, wow, this is an example of what I can do. I love this person. Like, thank you for being this reminder that this is what I can do. When you shift that in like from that place of, you know, where where you are trained, it's like you're trained to see people and you're like, oh, they're already doing that. Oh, like somebody already did that. Oh, somebody's already like living the life that I want to have. Oh, I hate them. Like, you're going to get nowhere. But when you start being inspired by that, when you start flipping that and you see that that's just an example of like what you can do and all the things that you can accomplish and the way that you can just live your life, like that's when you start inviting that good stuff in Mm -hmm. and that's when you start just emanating it. Yeah. And, and really giving yourself permission to just go for it. I think that's, Mm -hmm. I think that's like the other thing is like, like you were mentioning earlier with your, when, um, with your first book, you know, you felt like, oh, I'm not, it's not my time yet. I'm not ready. And I think, and I think that sometimes you have to just say, you know what, I'm going to make it my time. Even if I don't feel like it's my time right now, like I'm just going to go out and I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it done because this is what I want to do. Yeah. And I, and like just meeting with all the people that we've met with so far, I think that's been like the common thread mm-hmm. with everybody is mm-hmm. just saying yes, always not taking no for an answer. And if you don't know something, you're going to, you're going to figure it yeah. out. Yeah. You know, and us creating this podcast, we don't know what we're no, doing. We <laughs> <laughs> and you, you figure it out as you go. That's the thing is you figure it out as you go. And if you don't start, you'll never start. So yeah. when the fuck are you going to yeah. start? Yeah. So here we here are. We are. <laughs> I know I'll be listening to this episode three times a day for motivation and inspiration. <laughs> self-reflection with simon curtis (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's talk about your current projects because you have some fun stuff coming up beginning with your graphic novel which i don't even know anything i I just found out yesterday what a graphic novel meant yes it's called the witches of silver lake Mm -hmm. it is slated to come out fall 2021 so we got a little while still for that one Mm -hmm. i'm so excited about it it's about a group of gay witches at a high school in LA and they go crystal shopping in Silver Lake and accidentally summon demons. And it's amazing. And I love it. Now, remember, remember what we talked about, three cameo appearances of these three (laughs) podcast ladies. Yes, yes. Get your head tucked in. We'll, we'll get it to the artist. Exactly. Right? Yeah. The witch's friends. The witch's friends, exactly. I mean, like, who are those girls in the yeah, back? Like, what are they doing yeah. there? Some guests on a podcast. What about your music? I know you've been working on some stuff. Can you tell us about that? I am. I've been working on a new album for the past year and a half. So it's it definitely... I felt like we were right at the finish line before... March and I, it, everything, you know, got shut down. So I, I went to the studio for the first time because me and my producer have both, you know, been quarantined for so long. Um, I just, me and him, we went to the studio for the first time, like three weeks mm-hmm. ago, I want to say mm-hmm. for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really nice to get to record some vocals, but 
um, you know, we're just taking things really slowly right now because it, you know, with the pandemic, it makes it really difficult to go and be in a studio in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not, it's not really super feasible or it hasn't been for the past couple months. So we're, we're still figuring that out. But, um, but yeah, I released, I released my, my first single in like seven years last February called love. And then I released a double single graduate and rainbow last July. And now I'm finishing up the whole album. Yay. That's amazing. Something to look forward to. So do you have any last thoughts for our listeners? This is our super soul moment. (laughs) Ooh, a super soul moment. I would just say to right now, give yourself permission to do whatever you want to do, go wherever your heart wants to go and to be whatever you want to be, because there's Mm -hmm. nobody stopping you other than you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And if you can go and tell yourself yes in the mirror right now, then you've already won. That's the biggest battle right there. That's That's it. it. Yay. Yay. Simon, it's truly an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for your time and just sharing everything about you, what makes you with the world. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, you, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Love all of you guys. Love you you too. We really appreciate you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Simon, for joining us today here at What the Fun. For all our followers out there, if you'd like to purchase a copy of Boy Robot, you can visit your favorite bookstore or you can go on Amazon and get a copy. Also, if you'd like to follow Simon on social media, he is available on Instagram and Twitter at Simon Curtis. We would also like to do a shout out to Queen Shan Shans, a broadcast podcast to get the spill on travel, food, beauty, cultures, and so much more with some major, major humor. You can listen to Queen Shan Shan on any of your favorite podcast platforms at Abroad Podcasts. And don't forget to listen in every other Friday, wherever you get your podcast from. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone.